Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio with Bick Nazar here in the Kintec studio. Got lots coming your way here on this afternoon's program. Max Sasson, newest Canucks forward, will join us. Uh, well, I guess he's uh, Abbotsford Canucks. First and foremost, signing an ATO, and his entry-level contract will kick in next year. One of the college free agent signings by Vancouver over the last couple of days. Irfan Gaffar at 5 o'clock, and Don Taylor coming up at 5.30 here, as he does every single Monday on Canucks Central. Vic Nazar in for Satyar Shah this afternoon, and uh, there's a few things... Um, I want to get to here in this first segment, Bick. What do we got? Most of the talk around Rick Tockett. I still hate doing that. Talk and talk it. Most of the dis- discussion is the word I'm landing on. <laughs> Broken out the uh, thesaurus. Yes. The, most of the discussion around Rick Tockett's influence as Vancouver Canucks head coach has landed on how much stronger the Canucks' defensive posture has been. So the Canucks have allowed two goals or fewer in 14 of 27 games while Tockett has been the head coach. They did that in just seven of 46 games coached by Boudreaux this season. There's a lot of different ways we can look at the numbers. That is a raw goal total, so there's not a ton of context in there, of course, you can easily just point and say, well, Thatcher Demko, like, of course, good Demko versus not having Demko and also bad Demko at the beginning of the year is going to produce wildly different goals against results. So, yeah, there's some noise. But also, if you're watching the games, you quite clearly know that this team has been much better defensively. Now, Saturday against Dallas was... As I said to you and Sat on the postgame show, who is this team? Because mm-hmm. it's a completely different team today than it was earlier this season. They were slow and methodical in a way we don't really see them yes. be. And I, I mean those as compliments. Mm-hmm. It was very deliberate to want to sit back a little and wait for opportunities rather than force the issue, which we've seen so many times. And when we say force the issue, not talking like stretch pass, trying to engineer three on twos or two on ones times this season, they've tried to force the issue defensively. How do I go out of my way Mm -hmm. and break out of position to try to make a play along the wall? How do I try to inject some energy into this game? Yep. Sometimes it's necessary Luke Shen throwing a hit or something like that. Yes. And sometimes it's misguided. Yeah. To say, I'm going to open up space because I'm going to try to go in the puck by myself. Yep. I've always said defense is a combination of five people trying to work together to win one puck rather than one person trying to win one puck. You can apply that to any sport. 11 people trying to make a tackle, five people trying to stop a ball, whatever it is. It's a team effort. But too often, they became a bit too singular. There's number of different ways you can look at it um you know did Boudreaux not know how to coach defense I don't think that's entirely the story goaltending plays a part but you're lying to yourself if you don't think that this team has been better defensively and I think it happens in all three zones they've been smarter about their forecheck they've been smarter in their decision making when they are pinching at the offensive blue line they've been better with their puck management 
not enough or not as many plays where they just throw the puck flippantly around at the offensive blue line relating or resulting in transition chances going back the other way. Those things aren't happening anymore. So not only are they being coached more efficiently, there's a certain level of buy-in that this coaching staff is getting that Bruce Boudreaux was not getting. And so you continuously look at the numbers, look at the way that they've been playing, and you say to yourself, who is this team? Because I haven't seen this team be able to play this way. And certainly this collection of players be able to play this way ever. Right? There's still a large portion of the core here that was with Boudreaux. And even as they won games under Boudreaux last year, we talk about the 57 games, 106-point pace. They never played the same way that they are winning games right now. It's a completely different way that they're going about winning hockey games right now. And even yesterday against Chicago, it just sort of felt methodical as if we're going to keep it tight, wait for our chance. In the third period, they pushed a little bit and they got their win. That's you know more of a sign of a quality team you know, knowing that their chances are going to open up, knowing what they are going to have to do against a less talented team. And I just see a team that's much more mature right now and a team that is winning games in a more sustainable way than they did under Bruce Boudreaux. Yesterday, too, was interesting because it felt like they played the type of game we've seen teams come into Rogers Arena and play. Yes. Where, and again, your competition matters in this, obviously. Mm-hmm. But a lot of teams have been able to come into Rogers Arena, play 20 good minutes, and walk out with two points. Yep. Manage the rest, and traditionally we've seen it be, let's start early and let's keep them at arm's length the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that a ton over these past couple of years here. Where teams don't necessarily respect the opposition. Yep. And so y- you put it in an honest try, get your lead, and work the rest of the way. Or chase the game late, whatever it is. But there's 20 minutes that are an effective period, and the rest is coasting. Now, it was a back-to-back, Yep. right? It's a back-to-back. You're going to have some tired legs, all that sort of stuff. Chicago was also on a back-to-back, but I can understand from the Canucks' vantage point, a slower start yesterday makes some semblance of sense. Yes. But essentially, it was keep it close for 40, we'll win in 20. Yeah. That's how it looked to me yesterday. And they came out much better in the third period, and... Where the superior team grabbed their goals and didn't have to overextend themselves. And I'm not saying that's a overly impressive win. It wasn't a 60-minute shut-them-down type performance. And again, I preface this by saying their goal is to try to win games. It might not be your goal, yep. but if, if we're judging them on what they are trying to accomplish, that to me is a way to a sign of some level of maturity to say, hey, we managed this game and we still got it with our result. There is a constant battle here of how much of this is real, how much of this can carry over, how much can you realistically say this will translate into next season. And one of the things that I feel is translatable is, well, Rick Tockett, Adam Foote, Sergey Gonchar, they're not going anywhere. These guys are putting in place what they want to put in place, and they're going to carry that into training camp next season. That wasn't necessarily the case with Boudreaux. 
He had some new coaches come onto his staff last summer. It was very clear from management's side or view of things that they didn't like the way Boudreaux went about getting wins at the end of last season. Didn't think it was, as the buzzword says, sustainable. And ultimately, the boss, the bosses were right. So now you've got your new coach in place. You believe in his project. You believe in what he's going to be able to build. And it's clear as day they are a better defensive team right now than they were at any point under Bruce Boudreaux. I can look at raw goal totals and say, I know this to be true. I can look at the raw goal totals and say, look at these numbers. And it tells me they are true. They've allowed two or fewer goals in more than 50% of the games Rick Tockett has coached. Now, I know you want to hear more context to those numbers. But again, if you've seen the games, you know this to be true. Mate. May I uh, play to my identity here for a second? Oh, you got more context to the numbers, do you? Can I break out the spreadsheets? Oh, let's go. We got Can spreadsheets. I... Oh, wow. We got some. Uh... All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our super nerdy, nerdy uh, sci-fi computer. Okay. Right there. All right. So to what you were saying there, right? Yeah. Last year, at 5-on-5 five five in the 57 games Bruce Boudreaux coached, yes. at 5-on-5, five five, yes. how many games do you think that they put up three goals against at 5-on-5 five five in 57 games? With Boudreaux last year? With Boudreaux last year. They gave up more than three goals. Yeah, at 5-on-5. Five five. I would say around 50%. Uh, it's much lower. Oh, okay. Again, just 5-on-5. Five five. That's all we're talking about here. All right. It was 16 games, so 28% of the games. Okay. If you want to go a bit deeper, we can go expected goals. Of the 57 games, 24% of them, 24.6 to be exact, uh, were above two and a half expected goals. Okay. High danger chances. On average last year, there was about 11 a game across the league. So 11 on average was about 42% of their games. So less than 50% they were... This is Bruce last year. Where the average was around the league. Per the league. Yeah. So, Boudreaux this year. In 20 games that he coached this year, they gave up three or more goals. Five on five. Yeah. Now, again, goaltending, there were some issues, but just in general, five on five, 43% of their games. So, an increase of 15%. Hi- a big increase. Expected goals, five on five. Yeah. Two and a half a game. He gave up 18 games. For 39%, which is an increase of another 15%. Wow. High danger chances this year. How many did he give up? Uh, 11 and a half because there's an increase. So we want 12 uh, high danger chances a game. He gave up 19, which was of those, those games, which is actually less than the percentage last year. Okay. 41.3% down from 42.1. So now that's what Bruce looked like from year to year. What about Tockett versus Bruce? Yes. So Tockett, so far, again, smaller sample size, easier competition. We'll say all that. Yep. But so far, five on five, goals against. How many has Tockett had three or more? It's 10 for a decrease of 6%. Okay. 6.5% if you want to be exact. Expected goals. Three, two and a half and above. Yep. This is the stark number here. It's been five games for Rick Tockett. Just five on five. And it's it, that's so wait, a drop of 20. five of the twenty-seven games he's coached. They have allowed more than two and a half 
expected goals against? Just five, which is a drop of 21%. Or 20, that's an extremely 20. low 20. number. 6%. Yeah. I would say that's, I mean, not knowing what the rest of the league looks like in that time frame, it's probably among the lower. I'm just comparing yep. Bruce and Tockett here. And then high danger chances against. Um, games in which they've had above the league average, 12 or more, yep. um, it's down to 25.9% of the games. Seven games for Rick Tockett. That is damn impressive. Yeah. So there is more of the context that a lot of people were looking for after I tweeted that this morning. And again, there's some Demko coming back, obviously, but Demko impacts the goals against. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily impact the expected goals against and the high danger chances, so those are both down. And the defense, for me, from last year to this year, uh, I would say the defense is worse because mm-hmm. it's only just a couple of games of Philip Pronick. I feel heroic in these last two has made a major difference. Um, it's, I mean, he's only played three games total, but I'm already like questioning myself and wondering if I underestimated the value. One more top pair defenseman, top pair level defenseman can add to this team. Do you have a feel or do you have a similar sense as I do after three games? I think the big thing that stands out for me is how it's allowed... Like, forget what he's done on his own, independent yep. of what he can do to, to, to carry a pair. The big thing is it allows everyone else to slot a bit more naturally where they should be. And I, it's hard to contextualize what that looks like. Yeah. To, to say, well, you were on the ice before, and now you're still on the ice now. Why does it look different that you're a number three instead of a number two before? Someone like Tyler Myers, for instance. Yeah. It just looks different. <laughs> Whether it's like strength of competition, yeah. having another qualified player next to you, you have less minutes, having to carry someone else, less responsibility because now there's another player who can share some of that burden with you. The biggest impact I've noticed is how Ethan Bear looks a bit sharper. Mm-hmm. How Tyler Myers has, has quieted <laughs> a bit. Not as chaos Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like we're gonna wax about Philip Ronick. I'm waiting just because it's only been three games. Yeah, and and there are like the first game was as about as subtly solid as you can get. Yeah, it's almost. Um, forgive me for making a soccer reference. Do it, uh, and you might know this one. Holding midfielder. <laughs> yeah. Really, was that the like, reference you're going to make? I, I always <laughs> felt Michael Carrick was extremely underrated yeah. by by United fans and what he was able to do. Um. But Philip Ronick, with the puck on his stick, has that sort of a vibe to him, where it's calm, he knows where he's going to go, he knows how to deceive the opponent in order to be able to make the pass that he really wants to make, and he's going to be quick with it. Those are all very simple reasons as to why he's not going to spend a ton of time in his own end. And we've seen it already through three games. Um, it, it it even has nothing to say about his ability in front of the net. I think you've already noticed some of his box-out ability, you know, not losing as many battles in front of the net, knowing how to tie up a stick, knowing how to make sure nothing comes easy to somebody looking for that second chance in front of the Canucks net. Those are obvious things, but the way he moves the puck, in a different, like, Quinn Hughes can control the pace of a game. It's more obvious in the way that he does it. Philip Romanik is 
he's a little bit quieter in the way that he does it, but it still has a similar effect on the game as to what Quinn Hughes does, even if it's not at the same elite level as Quinn Hughes. He's like the Big Lebowski, the the, the rug that ties the room together. <laughs> you make soccer references, I'll make movie references. All right. Uh, but yeah, and you know we, we've looked at the puck tracking data as well, the, yeah. the handful of games uh, that we have access to, uh, with the, the data that we have access to for the handful of games that yeah. Veronica's been here. Obviously, there's a natural puck moving element that we can all see, but it is noticeable that he touches the puck about a minute less than Quinn Hughes. One of the complaints we get a lot when we cite those things is fans say, well, he touches, Quinn Hughes touches the puck so much because he hangs onto the puck so much. Hronik, it's it's legit a minute less than, it's half yeah. the amount of time that Quinn Hughes does. But he's had no problems being efficient in that manner to switch offense or defense into offense. He's very quick and very decisive in what he wants to do with the puck. And like something the Canucks really needed. That decisiveness, I think, is a great trait. Like, I'm just talking about the the speed in which to make a decision. Yes. Whether the outcome is positive or negative, the speed in which you make a decision is important. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a mis- mistake, commit to the mistake. Don't do this half in, half out, and have three other guys try to read off you, and they're confused now too. Tyler Myers has been guilty of this a lot, where he's slow to make a decision and then commits to it and then tries to backtrack it, and it the play gets lost. Yeah. And we see that, of especially in the defensive zone, of should I go, should I stay? And guys are trying to read off of it, and you misread something, and suddenly space opens up. There was a play yesterday, I know Sat kept talking about it, when McDonough broke out of the zone. I think it was in the second period. Yeah. And Myers has the puck, and he's got a chance to – fired up to McDonough, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and suddenly the angle gets closed, tries to make a different pass, doesn't end yeah. up go- going through the neutral zone, and suddenly a would-be opportunity. We don't see that with Ronick. No. If he's going to make a decision, he's checked it beforehand, and he's going to try to make that play. Sometimes it doesn't work, which is fine, but he's made his decision prior to even getting the puck. It uh, also plays quite well into how Rick Tockett has – Mentioned he wants the team to play north-south, move the puck quicker, and not be too indecisive. None of these regroups. He doesn't like the regroups and all these things, and Philip Ronick plays that style of game. As uh, Tone says on the 650-650 text line, he's sneaky good. Uh, more coming in on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Is this a pre-recorded repeat show from March last year? No, because we told you the differences in how this team is playing this year compared to last March. Plus, we said talk it, not green. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Raymond with this text. I'm sorry. These wins mean absolutely nothing. I imagine that's to my comment earlier, right? Yeah. And and look, Raymond, you're you're right. They mean absolutely nothing to you. Mm -hmm. And to a lot of the fans, they mean absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I'm not disputing this. But let's not pretend that these players aren't trying to win. I yeah. think the comment I was making, that they're trying to win. We can sit here and say, what are you doing? Lottery, all this sort of stuff. They suit up. They're the ones that put the bodies in the line. They're trying to win. Canucks now, uh, if they win five of their final nine games, will finish the season above 500. I will say this. Hey, what if Winnipeg loses? Uh... <laughs> it's not happening. Don't... Two of their last seven. Don't do it. Um my voice is still recovering from the Howard Dean uh, rant. <laughs> so I was thinking about this a lot yesterday because the Chicago Blackhawks are a black hole. 
I mean, they've got Seth Jones. They've got not much else. <laughs> yeah, sure, Kevin Korchinski and you know some of the other players they drafted last year, but they really are starting at ground zero. And you've got a bunch of draft picks. They've got two in the first three rounds of the next three seasons. They've got four second rounders coming up this year. So, you know, in in terms of if you're going to go about a scorched earth rebuild, they're doing a pretty good job. I'll give them credit for that. But I would rather be the Vancouver Canucks and with where their roster is currently situated and have a 3.5% chance at landing Connor Bedard than I would prefer to be the Chicago Blackhawks with basically nothing on their current roster of note and an 11.5% chance at Connor Bedard. I get it. Bedard is going to be a generational talent, and he's going to be an incredible player for a lot of years in the NHL. But you still are going to need more around him, and I'd rather be where the Canucks are with Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko as your three building blocks than starting at ground zero and just an 11.5% chance at getting that true one-of-a-kind talent like Connor Bedard. Because that's all they have. They've got 11.5% and a lot of magic beans beyond that with all the draft picks they have. Heck, they even have a worse contract on their books than Oliver Ekman Larson with Seth Jones mm-hmm. at $9.5 million per season for the next seven years. So... I get the frustration with where the Canucks are, and I don't want to see the Canucks fall out of the bottom 11 either and have zero chance of Connor Bedard. But I'd rather be where the Canucks are today than where the Chicago Blacks are today. Blackhawks are today. So I'll, I'm going to grant the Chicago Blackhawks a lottery win here. Okay? Okay. So they get Connor Bedard. Mm-hmm. They have 18 other picks in the first three rounds over the next three years here. What would be a good hit rate? For them, because remember, hit rate is not just to me. Hit rate is not just uh, two hundred games played. Yeah, how many other successful picks do they need to have here? You still need of eighteen. Yeah, traditionally we would say like, what's solid? Ten percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty percent. But even that, you know, if you don't land another franchise cornerstone, what are you really building? Connor Bedard can only do so much on his own. Mm-hmm. But they just recently had three first-round picks last year. Yeah. Uh, how many was it in the top uh, three rounds? I think it was... They had uh, the seventh pick and the twelfth pick. Yeah, but they also had uh, two twos and three threes, I think, right? Yeah. So that's another um, seven on top of the 18 I talked about. Yeah. So of these 25 picks in a four-year span, how many are going to be... Real players. Again, we're extending this all the way out to round three. Yeah. So 10% is what? Two? <laughs> Two and a half? Okay, so let's, again, let's be kind. Yeah. Let's say... They well, they get... do have six first rounders yep. in the next three years. So... But, I mean, two of them are Tampa's and Toronto's. Yes. But let's say Later they get round picks. five, four or five guys. Mm-hmm. So that's a little over 20%. And that's, depending on the level of that, of those five players, 
What are you now, really building? Now, one of them is going to be Connor Bedard. Yeah. I've granted them this. Yeah. We're, 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 I know cap space is king, and you're Chicago. You're going to have some pull. Players are going to want to play for you. I get all that. Like, here's the thing with the with the teardown rebuild, right? I think too often we assume you're hitting like 70% on your draft picks. Yes. Because, well, well, you're high end of the draft, all that sort of stuff. But again, they're probably going to get four to five guys. Think about the Miami Dolphins. They missed on all those draft picks they were collecting, or a lot of them mm-hmm. they missed on. And where do they get most of the talent that they've now accumulated? By trading those draft picks. So it's not always just the draft picks that are bringing you in talent. It's what that draft pick is as an asset. And to get to the stage, and, and, and this is why I kind of agree with your point of I'd rather have the Canucks right now because there's a certain level of certainty. Yeah. You need about 20 things to go right. Chicago's at zero. Yeah. They need the draft lottery to go right, and then they need to hit about 20 other things. Mm-hmm. At bare minimum, I would say 20. I think it's closer to, to get the organizational depth. You probably need closer to 35. But that's what we're talking about here. It, it doesn't just happen with one offseason. Stan Riccio, Bick Nazar. We'll get to some of your reaction. Also, Max Sasson, uh, the latest uh, player into the Canucks organization, will join us next on Canucks Central. Canucks Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. It's Dan Riccio and Bick Mazar, and we welcome in our next guest on the show, newest member of the Canucks organization, Max Sasson. Thanks for this, Max. How are you? I'm good. I uh, just arrived in uh, Winnipeg to uh, meet the team. We got a team meal here and hopefully meet some of the guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm super excited to be part of the organization. How's your first team meal going? What's on the menu? Uh, I'm not sure what's on the menu. I think it's uh, a little spot somewhere in Winnipeg. Uh, I uh, All I know is to uh, be down in the lobby by 7 and uh, I'll figure it out from there. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, explain uh, what the last couple of days have uh, have been for you. Yeah, the last couple of days have uh, since my season ended have been pretty hectic. Uh, you know, talking to a, a bunch of teams and uh, you know deciding uh, my fate here. And then, uh, yeah, yesterday or two days ago, uh, signing the contract and you know figuring out travel arrangements and uh, talking to the the staff. And uh, yeah, it's been hectic, but I'm just super excited to be here and uh, start playing hockey. What was uh, exciting about the process of uh, being wooed by the NHL? Uh, you know, it was just, it was super cool. Just, uh, you know, uh, teams, you know, reaching out and, you know, having calls with a, a bunch of general managers and, you know, talking to a bunch of really cool, uh, really big time people. And, um, yeah, but honestly, I'm, uh, I'm happy the, the process is over and I uh, decided on a spot and I uh, couldn't be happier. What made, uh, the Canucks or the opportunity with the Canucks, the one for you? Um, just talking to, uh, Patrick and, uh, you know, uh, they're he's, they're building something uh, special here, and you know Abbotsford has a a really good team this year too, and um, you know just just everything I felt super comfortable, and I think they understand uh, my game and my path and uh, my character, and uh, made the decision uh, you know a tough decision easier for sure talking uh, 
talking with Patrick and, you know, Scott Young and the staff here, uh, it felt like the best, best decision for myself. One thing uh, we will let you know for certain, uh, you will like Vancouver more than Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's what I, that's what I'm here at for sure. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been to Vancouver once, uh, you know, a while ago, but, um, yeah, it's a beautiful city. I had a couple teammates on my team this year, uh, from there and, you know, they, uh, singing, singing Vancouver's praises for sure. What uh, brought you to the city in the past? Uh, yeah, when I was 10 years old, uh, my, uh, my family actually took a trip to Whistler. So we, uh, we went to, uh, you know, all around Vancouver and, um, yeah. And right from there, I knew the, how big of a deal, uh, the Canucks were in the city. And that was also part of the decision is, you know, just, uh, the rabid fan base and how much people care about hockey and, uh, in Vancouver is awesome. So this this whole process, like, did you start as soon as the season was over and you think, okay, now I started looking at NHL teams or were you kind of keeping an eye throughout the past couple of months here? Yeah. Um, you know, during the season, I tried to just focus on uh, my, uh, my season at Western Michigan, um, you know, with the thought in the back of my mind that I knew uh, some teams would uh, pursue at the end of the year. And then, um, you know, talking to my family, talking to my advisor and, uh, you know, thinking things through, I thought it was the best decision to, uh, you know, forego my last two years and uh, uh, sign with a team. And then, you know, I had a, a bunch of Zoom calls with a bunch of teams. And um, like I said earlier, decided on uh, Vancouver being the best spot. Whether it's uh, your family or uh, the advisor or coaches, uh, who gave you the best piece of advice uh, for this uh, process here? Um. I would say I kind of relied on uh, my advisor and, uh, you know, just talking to uh, guys in the past that have left and also uh, talking to my coaching staff and, um, you know, talking to Patrick and uh, Scott Young. And, you know, I, I believe I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to, to come out of college. And um, so, yeah, I just uh, honestly, I got a lot of advice from a lot of good people. So, uh, What's your game like? Uh, tell our listeners what uh, Max Sasson, Max Sasson is uh, like on the ice. Yeah, I think I'm uh, a two-way center that you know tries to uh, uh, compete uh, super hard, um, have a play with a lot of energy, and uh, I think uh, the Vancouver fans will uh, will see that. Uh, try to play with a lot of speed and and energy and compete level, and let the rest uh, work itself out. For yeah, for you personally, like that part of the game and, and, and being the 200 foot kind of guy, where does that sense of like, is, is that a pride thing to take care of? Or is that a want to sacrifice for your teammates thing? Like, why is that it so important to you? Yeah, I think uh, just getting into uh, junior hockey and uh, especially my first year of college, um, the, uh, the way that I was going to gain ice time was to be uh, trustable and reliable to my coaching staff and uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, it's not perfect. Obviously no one is, but, uh, you know, I tried to really focus on, um, the defensive aspect. And then, um, as you know, uh, I got more comfortable, better, faster, uh, you know, the offensive side started coming out. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but that's, uh, that's kind of how I, I started as a defensive uh, player and, you know, kind of worked myself into the offensive side. You uh, play all all situations uh, with Western Michigan this year, and uh, you know you, you kind of become that guy. You're over a point a game as well. What what uh, helped you have this breakout season in your sophomore year and lead to this uh, this contract with the Canucks? 
Yeah, I think I, uh, at, uh, last year I got, uh, changed to the, one of the top lines and, um, you know, started feeling, feeling really confident. And then, uh, going into this last year, I, you know, I trained really hard in the summer and, uh, you know, came back with that, uh, that confidence and just, uh, abilities knowing that, you know, uh, I can make some plays and, uh, my coaching, my coaching staff trusted me to, to do that. And, um, you know, just kind of slowing the game down to the second year is, was huge. So, um, all those things. What were you focused on last summer that you wanted to improve in your game? And, and, and also, is there something that you want to maybe focus on for uh, this upcoming summer as well? Yeah, last summer, uh, I put a lot of emphasis into uh, speed training and uh, sprints and running up hills and, um, you know, putting weights on and uh, skating. Um, but, and, you know, I think it helped and I still, I mean, no one, no one's ever too fast. Um, so I still could work there. And then this summer, uh, going into pro hockey, uh, working on the frame and, uh, you know, getting stronger, um, you know, playing against older guys and more mature men. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to work a lot on, uh, strength for sure this summer. What's, uh, what's a day in the life of, uh, for Max outside of hockey? Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, have a lot of uh, a lot of friends i'm super close with my family um you know in the in the season it's you know it's pretty much it's all hockey uh but you know i like to golf um well we got you covered uh for, like, for golf out here in vancouver for sure. yeah yeah that's, that's good to hear uh yeah i like to uh golf a lot but uh yeah i mean my uh my main focus pretty much has always been you know hockey family friends uh Actually, it's funny you said that. Uh, my buddy was like, "What other hobbies do you have?" And I was like, "Well, I like to golf." Um, so <laughs> typical hockey guy, yeah, Max. Jeez, yeah, pretty, pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty typical. I wish I could uh, give you some fun, you know, unique hobby, but uh, yeah, uh, pretty typical hockey guy here. Hey, we were trying to figure out before the show and just trying to take a guess at it. Uh, like, what's your hockey name on the ice? You know, here it's like it's, it's Millsy or Huggy or Breezer or something like that. And Sasson's a little different. We were trying to figure out like what do the guys call you on the ice? Um, yeah, people people usually just call me Sass. Um, All right, one syllable, in, the rare oh, one. One syllable, yeah, exactly. Or Sasser sometimes. There we go. Um, okay. All right. But yeah, usually yeah, usually Sasser or Sasser. Um, yeah, those, those two, uh, you know, I rarely get called max. So, um, I'm sure, uh, something, something will stick here, uh, in Abbotsford once I start meeting the guys. Hey, the, uh, clips been making the rounds, uh, since you signed and the news became official and everything like that, but, uh, you singing. So, you know, you were mentioning defense first guy, sacrificing for the teammates, sacrificing for the cause, similar to you, to, to your singing ability as well. Like you wanted the show to go on and make sure you sacrifice for them too. Yeah, that uh, yeah, that clip has been doing the rounds. That uh, that national anthem clip will uh, probably follow me uh, forever. Which uh, in the moment I really didn't think anything of it. But yeah, that uh, you know I don't have the best voice ever, but uh, I was, you know, my teammates wanted me to do it, and uh, usually, you know, doesn't doesn't take much convincing for me to uh, do something like that. I'm always kind of love to love to talk, and um, you know, singing was not really my thing, but. Uh, yeah, I, tr- I tried it out, and you know, it was uh, it was a funny moment that uh, that'll live on. Max, uh, we really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy Winnipeg as much as you can, and uh, we'll see you out here in Vancouver pretty soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. There is uh, Max Sasson, the uh, or as uh, 
I'm sure the Abbotsford Sasser. Canucks will be uh, start calling them Sasser or Sass. Can't do one syllable. Can't do the one syllable. No. So what would like what would you be? Nizzy. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. You think so? Niz yeah. wouldn't work. Niz Niz doesn't necessarily no. work. No. Sounds like someone like yeah scraped the boards or something. <laughs> Uh, Nizzy yeah. Biker No I can't No it's no. not doing that That's not that Reacher work. No Reachy Reachy No it's usually just Danny for me Reachy Reachy yeah. <laughs> Danny Usually just yeah, Danny for it's me It's too boring It is very boring It's not, not fun What are you guys buying the glass Ben Benner No Ben's gotta be Basser Basser Yeah Basser Yeah we're going there with Basser Yeah No This mic's not on Yeah we can't hear you <laughs> uh, KP usually. Let's KP. KP. Costa. All right. KP. <laughs> KP. I, I, I guess that makes sense. I feel like Benny's an easy one for me. Benny. No, Basser. Basser? But then yeah. we're like sinking Benny on the Jets and doing all that yeah. whole. <laughs> too, probably too many Bennies around, you know? Some guys call me Bazzy. Okay. Bazzy might work. Bazzy. With like yeah. the, the Z. Yeah, with the Z. Yeah, Even though my last name doesn't have that. Although, because most times on the ice, it's never like, Millsy. It's usually, Millsy, Millsy. Yeah. <laughs> at least with you, if we did Benny, it'd be like the song. Yeah. Because he's like, B-B-B-Benny at the Jets. It's it just. Uh, Chris and versus Dun- the Jets. Chris and Duncan saying, so Winnipeg. French accents now. Uh, actually, Max, when he, like, he told us how to pronounce his name, and it's Max Sasson. So. Yeah. Uh, no, no accents. That's just. How that wasn't Dan being name. Dan. That wasn't Danny being Danny. Is that the reputation I have now? Because I try to pronounce names correctly. People are calling me out. Unbelievable. Do you practice? I actually the said Sasson at the top of the show, and now I feel bad about it because once he he called in, he said it was uh, Sasson. So we'll get that right from now on. Yeah, we will. Also, again, we are uh, Sasson on it. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. That was very bad. I'm a volume shooter, man. I'm like AI. I'm just gonna keep chucking up buckets. <laughs> You hit as much as draft picks do. Thirty <laughs> percent hit rate if I'm lucky in a good week. If you're lucky, um, a lot of good texts coming in at the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox because Tay uh, from Kelowna sounds like he was avoiding sassy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is why, like, we were joking about it in the pre-show. Yes, like he, he definitely doesn't go by sassy. Definitely does not. He's not a Smurf. So it's uh, Sasser or Sass. Yeah. It's got to be Sasser. Sasser makes a lot of sense. Over here, Sasser. Good good s- Sasser passer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're going too far. Yeah. We're good. We're good. Uh, we were talking about the uh, Canucks versus Blackhawks build. And would you rather be the Blackhawks right now in their current situation? They have an 11.5% chance of landing the first overall pick. Or take the Canucks roster and all of its issues, but all of its good parts too, and their three and a half percent chance at Connor Bedard and the first overall set selection. Um, a couple of texts came in. So wait, are we as media now team build on the fly and not full rebuild? Betting got torched on this radio station for not doing a full rebuild. So confusing. Uh, question is Canucks or Chicago? Yeah. Um, look, I, I've said this before. Circumstances change. Like you have to constantly change the evaluation of where you are. Right. Twenty seventeen 
when they had nothing. Yes. And it was the end of it. Yes. You had you had to do a rebuild. Yes. Full teardown. Yes. They fell ass backwards into Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, Thatcher Demko, all these other pieces. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say those three primary pieces. So I'm not going to use 2017 logic in 2023. <laughs> yes. I think we can all be flexible. Yes. Or we can try to be, at least. And re reassess from where you are right now. And we were having this conversation about Chicago versus Vancouver. And people texted in, well, you take three cups every time. That's not what we're talking about. No. Not yes. talking about the past. We're not talking about the past. From from today moving forward, assume the NHL deleted its history. Yep. And you got the rosters you do right now. How are you trying to win Stanley Cups in the future? Of course you take the Stanley Cups of the past. Yes. But from this point forward, to build towards the Stanley Cup, which team would you rather be? Chicago or Vancouver? I still say Vancouver. And honestly, I would I'd take Vancouver over probably about... 14, 15 teams. So over half the league almost? Yeah. So Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, Kronick, Miller. Greater than all the blank slates. Yes. And a lot of the mushy middle teams. Mm-hmm. Like, would you rather be Minnesota or would you rather be Vancouver? Minnesota. Tough. Because yeah. what's like like what's the nailed on prospect? like Minnesota is never going to be a true cup contender. They've got the the, the true stud yes. in Kaprizov, yes. who I might say is a hair above Patterson and Hughes. Very small, but yeah. They've got a really good decor. Yeah. But like Spurgeon is still one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. But he's also 33. Yeah. Brodeen's 29. Yeah. Dumba's a UFA. Yeah. And they've had, they, look, they've got some guys coming up. I get that. Ogren, all that sort of stuff. But they're not confirmed in the league superstars. They're, they're a second-tier contender. Like, they're not one of the first-tier contenders. And I don't know if they have a ceiling above the second tier. Right? So I, I, I can get that with Minnesota. Would you rather be Vancouver or Nashville? Would you rather oh. be Vancouver or St. Louis? Would you rather be Vancouver or Winnipeg right now? Nashville's Where it's in... it's falling apart in Winnipeg. Yeah. Nashville is Max like... Max should have checked out and be like, hey, Jets, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> Nashville's where San Jose was uh, like a year ago. Yeah, would you rather be San Jose or Vancouver? Oh, my God. Vancouver. Right? Anaheim. Week. Calgary. Columbus. Throw them in there. Right? Yep. Like, you start doing it this way. And like th- there are some like Philly. Yeah. What is Philly looking at for five, six years? Philly is in a dire, dire situation. Washington, Calgary. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather be Vancouver than Calgary. Yep. Seattle. That one's that one's tight. It's closer. I but Seattle like, like has so little coming right. Aside from mm-hmm. like they had a nice draft last year, but again. A nice draft on paper. We'll see what it looks like in three years' time. Beneers and Shane Wright. Your your future is based on that. And how much longer can Vince Dunn and Adam Larson play as a top pair in this league? And what's the ceiling on that? It's tough, man. Like, the Canucks situation for as dire as it seems at times, because of Pedersen and Hughes and Demko, there is still hope that it can work out well. Still very difficult to get them towards being a true cup contender, but there is still a pathway for them to get there because Hughes and Pedersen are really that good. Uh, LB 
uh, texting me in. Manny's got the best prospect pool in the league. Come on, guys. Slow down carrying the water. Prospects still have to turn into per- pros. Yes. And, as Tones texts in, they also have this cap hit coming in. Yes. Where they're not going to be able to add to their team. Like Look, the prospects could turn into Elias Pettersson. Yes. Or I could just take Elias Pettersson. <laughs> exactly. I'll take the, uh, I'll take the first one. Uh, I'll, I'll take the, the sure thing. Chicago wins another cup. With Bedard before Canucks do book it again. Chicago has just an eleven and a half percent chance at Connor Bedard in this scenario because that's where they are right now. They don't have the best odds at selecting number one overall. They have the third best odds right now. To be fair, I did grant them uh, Bedard in our oh, conversation okay. earlier. Yes. To be fair, but yep, when we inject reality back into the conversation <laughs> of eleven and a half percent, yes. And I know there are some texters saying as well, like it's it's about the top five, the top three in general. You're getting you know, what could be a first mm-hmm. overall pick in a lot of drafts, all in the top three selections this year. Bedard is the generational talent. And then you have guys like Carlson and, and Fentilli that are still really good talents and sort of like in the, the Jack Eichel mold. Yeah. Okay, here. I got a bit of a hypothetical question for you. Okay. So that look. This is going back a month ago, and I did the thing of, look, they've made their trades, all this sort of stuff. I'm not going to get too worked up over the percentage points at this stage. If they compete and they win, it's just reality. It's just what happens, okay? Yes. People got annoyed at that. I get it. <laughs> and I was accused of being intellectually dishonest of like, don't you know the draft lottery is more about protecting your pick sliding down? Okay, that's fine. If they had the best lottery odds, 25% chance, Connor Bedard, come lottery, May 8th, and they fell down two spots, do you think people would say, Good process. We got third pick. Or do you think people would say, Canucks luck? Yeah. Missed out on Connor Bedard. Like, yeah. What do you think the, the, the commentary would be? Be like, of course we never win draft lotteries. Well, what was it when they dropped down to five to select Ole Levy? They slid. <laughs> but again, Canucks never if, have luck in the draft lottery. If, if they got all the steps you can do for 82 games. Yeah. From October 13th to April 13th. Mm-hmm. They got all that right, and they ended up with 25%, and they lost the draft lottery. Do you think people would be saying, hey, we still got third. We're thrilled with third. And then, let's say they end up with the 10th best odds, and they win the lottery come May 8th. Yeah. Do you think people are going to say, do you think the, would there be people that say, hey, bad process, good result. They got lucky. It's a freaking lottery. <laughs> of course someone's going to get lucky. Yeah. That's that's how it happens. There's going to be people that say that. New if, Jersey. If, if the Canucks are the 10th best odds come yeah. end of the season and they win the lottery, there's still going to be the, the un, unnecessary risk at the end of the year getting all these wins. That's still going to happen uh, no New, matter what. New Jersey is a team that jumped up a ton. Dallas was a team that jumped up big one year to get uh, Miro Haskin in. Uh, the New York Rangers jumped up big that year they got uh, – was it Kako? And they, they drafted second overall after they had gotten Alexis Lafreniere. So, um, or it was the other way around. But it, it's, you know, teams have jumped up pretty high in the draft lottery selection order. But this is a situation where at, at this point, you're most disappointed if they fall out of the bottom 11. If they land with 0% chance yeah. at finishing first overall... That that's the tough pill to swallow, and, and they are now just three points away from that line. And uh, Buffalo playing right now, yeah, tied one one. 
Keep a close eye on it. Uh, Ottawa's playing Florida tonight, so that one's a big one too. And uh, tomorrow, actually, a sneaky big game in those draft lottery percentages with the Canucks and St. Louis Blues. We'll have that on Sports at 650. Coming up, Irfan Gaffar is going to join us. Uh, his take on where the Canucks are headed. And you know, Frank Saravalli talked about the Canucks still looking to trade JT Miller in the summer. We'll see what Irf thinks about that coming up next on Canuck Central.